Hello, I'm Adrian Moore, and in our meeting together today, we share in the joy of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and joining with us in spirit in this offering of worship and our opening hymn, Alleluia, Sing to Jesus.
We are blessed indeed who have put our trust in you, who live to serve, and in our walk of faith go where you might lead us. We are blessed indeed who have found our strength in you, who seek your face and hear that quiet whisper as you encourage us. We are blessed indeed who bow down to worship you, then go out in faith to do the tasks you have prepared for us. And the collet for the 22nd of August, the 12th Sunday after Trinity. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we to pray, and to give more than either we desire or deserve. Pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid, and giving us those good things which we are not worthy to ask, but through the merits and meditation of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And now our confession. Forgive us, Lord, when we rely on our own strength and not yours, failing to make use of the spiritual armour you provide, and are wounded in the fight. Forgive us, Lord, when we forget your provision and your love, listening instead to the insistent voices of this world, and struggle to know what's right. Draw us close, Lord. Equip us with all that we need, Empower us, strengthen our faith so we can engage with this present world under the banner of your light. Our first reading is taken from the epistle of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, and is read for us by Andrew Day. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armour of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armour of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, Keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me 
to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, for this reason, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And now our talk. The filioque is a Latin term added to the original Nicene Creed and which has been the subject of great controversy between Eastern and Western Christianity. It is a term that refers to the Son, Jesus Christ, as an additional origin point of the Holy Spirit. A few years ago, I was very privileged to be able to record a lecture on this subject with Dr Rowan Williams, and here's part of it. Well, thank you once again for the opportunity to be here with you. Well, debate has raged furiously over the filioque. Russian Orthodox theologians in particular in this century have ascribed to the filioque the responsibility for pretty well everything that has ever gone wrong with Western Christianity, from Marxism to the common cold. <laughs> but the debate is a real one. And both sides have something rather significant to say. On the one hand, the filioque is there partly to remind us that God the Father is never just a sort of abstract principle. God, who is the source of divine life as of all things, is God who is eternally and necessarily the one who brings forth his word and his son. There is no God apart from that. And when we say, as we still do in the West, proceeds from the Father and the Son, we are recognizing, however clumsily, that there's no such thing as the Father on his own, so to speak, and that there's always some relation to the Son implicit in the Spirit coming forth from a God who is Father. This point, interestingly enough, was agreed absolutely, without qualification, wholeheartedly, by the last round of the Anglican Orthodox dialogue. On that side, on the Western side of the debate, there is a good deal to be said. And when the great Karl Barth turned his formidable energies to this question in the first volume of his Church Dogmatics, that's the point he made. That if you let the Holy Spirit loose from the Son, so to speak, you end up binding in the Holy Spirit to just that kind of vague religiousness that I said earlier wouldn't do as an account of what the Bible meant by Holy Spirit. On the other hand, the Easterners have a real point. Their anxiety is that if you say proceeds from the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is bound to sound like a little bit of an afterthought, a little bit inferior. The Holy Spirit is a functionary for the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son, to speak horribly, blasphemously, mythologically. The Father and the Son get together, sort out their policy, and hand it over to the Holy Spirit to put into action. And that, the Orthodox quite rightly say, absolutely won't do. And they say, again quite rightly, that Western religious art really walks straight into the trap that that suggests. We know what the Father looks like, old man, long beard. We know what the Son looks like, youngish man, black beard. And what does the Holy Spirit look like? Um, a bird. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove at the baptism. And that's the, the nearest we get to a, a visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So characteristically, when Western religious artists in the Middle Ages tried to depict the Trinity, they were very prone to do it as 
an old man, a young man, and a bird. The Orthodox get very outraged by this, and they're quite right to do so. Think of many of the great medieval representations of the Trinity, and you actually have to look quite hard to find the Holy Spirit. You'll see a very small dove sometimes hovering somewhere in between the massive figure of the Father and the crucified Son. And that certainly gives out the message that the Holy Spirit is less personal, less important, and somehow less connected with us. The typical form of the Trinitarian image by the late Middle Ages in the West is the crowned and throned father with his long white beard, often extending his hands and supporting the cross of the sun. It's a wonderfully dramatic picture and often very moving. But as I say, you have to look rather hard to find the small white bird hovering somewhere over the head of the sun. The drama, the personality, as you might say, is all with the father and the son. And the spirit is visibly an afterthought. So the Orthodox really do have a point. And it's not only the Orthodox who've noticed this sad trend in Western theology. My dear friend and mentor, Donald Orchin, loves to quote a letter of Anne Griffiths, the 18th century Welsh hymn writer, where she writes to her spiritual director to say that she has never yet fully realized the personal being of the Holy Spirit. Only now, as she grows in her life of prayer, does she begin to grasp that the Holy Spirit really is like the Father and the Son, an infinite, personal, divine energy. So it's not just the Orthodox. But of course, we do face a difficulty here. It's very hard to imagine the Holy Spirit, because the word spirit, rightly enough, doesn't suggest a face, a form, a body. The images that the Bible gives us of the spirit, apart from doves, are flames and fire and things like that. And you can't easily get those into a picture with an old man and a young man and make the point you want to make. I think myself, from the point of view of religious art, it's a lost cause to try and imagine the face of the Holy Spirit. We should rather perhaps question the ready way in which we imagine the faces of the Father and the Son and tie ourselves down to an extremely anthropomorphic, dramatic picture of the Father and the Son's relationship, the old man and the young man, the one who makes the sacrifice, the one who receives the sacrifice, and all of that. The reason that the most effective, profound, and converting image of the Trinity is Rublev's great icon is surely that that miraculously escapes any kind of mythological anthropomorphic dimensions. The <laughs> figures simply won't lend themselves to the old man, young man kind of distortion. So both sides of the Filioque debate have something important about them. Both sides are clinging on to gospel truth. What we do with the formula, I don't know. I think the Western Church should probably get rid of it now, because whether it's theologically defensible or not, it is profoundly offensive to our Eastern Christian brethren, and we don't really need it. 
so long as we have a kind of memo to ourselves, remember when we say Father, we mean the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd be happy to see it go myself. And now that the Orthodox are interested in and indeed convinced about the need to make that point clear that the Spirit is not just free-floating, a spare pair of hands, we may be able to get somewhere. The words and wisdom of Dr Rowan Williams. And we'll be hearing much more of him in future programmes. I've often thought of the Holy Spirit as a mighty wind. And here's the hymn. A mighty wind invades the world. In your word, O Lord, we can put our trust. To you we can turn when struggling to cope, when faith is confused and its wisdom we seek. In your word, O Lord, we can put our trust. To you we can turn when the world closes in and sin drags us down and we're back at your feet. In your word we find wholeness and peace, enough for each day, in your word we find hope for tomorrow, such mercy and grace. In your word, O Lord, we can put our trust completely. And now we bring our own personal concerns to God, whether it be about people we know, places around the world, and things which we hold dear.
Now we say together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. All People That On Earth Do Dwell, sung by the choir of St Martin in the Fields, London. And finally, we say together the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all evermore. Let us go forth in peace. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now, once again, we leave you with my dear friend, our resident organist, the Reverend Ivan Fowler.